And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. The high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Today, Pastor Sexton is speaking on providing leadership from the pulpit ministry. And now, here is Pastor Sexton. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, I hope this proves to be a very profitable time for you and for me. I enjoy this, especially if I think I'm helping you. And um, maybe you can send me a little note if you're getting help. We have your email and you have ours. But... um, I think it's good if we communicate with one another. Let's have prayer together, may we? Our Father, we thank Thee for this day and for Thy love and mercy. And we pray that You'll guide us by Your Spirit and that we'll understand the value of what we're doing as it helps all our people and all the people they influence. Guide us by Your Spirit. Christ Jesus name. Amen. We're on the subject of preaching, and I mentioned pastoral preaching the last time. There's a few things I'm going to mention I want you to write down. For example, uh, we're going to be doing some design work here, very simple, very simple, on a theme for 2021 and you may want to get copies of it but we're not going to just send them out indiscriminately if you'd like to get some of the things Ryan's designing for us here at the Temple Baptist Church I'd be happy to send it to you but I'm talking about emphasizing something and I'll talk about that in just a moment here's a book that I mentioned before that has been put out by our friends at Sermon Audio, Brother Stephen. And uh, I have found this book amazing. I've read it twice already. Now, that may not be anything that appeals to you, but the case for United Prayer. And I'm, I'm, I'm growing, I hope, in this matter. I made a statement once in a conference, and they never invited me back, so you need to be careful what you say. I made the statement that God is never going to use independent Baptists like he could use independent Baptists and desires to use independent Baptists until we rejoice in the fact that he's using people who are not independent Baptists. And I was bringing a message on the subject of God is able to do much more than this from a Bible text on that subject. And it didn't go over well. And um, I, I, I didn't think at the time about it not going over well, but because I thought it was a helpful statement or I wouldn't have made it. But if you're a reader and you think and you're involved in Christian heritage, which we are and hope to continue to be, then you realize the contributions that many people have made sometimes 
that were not independent Baptists. I'm very grateful to God to be an independent Baptist wouldn't be anything else. And uh, it cost me to become identified at least with independent Baptist people. Uh, that happened in 1975. And uh, I was involved in leadership in the Southern Baptist Convention. And frankly, I, I hope this doesn't sound like the wrong thing, but was one of their fair-haired boys on the promised road to, um, to greater things. But I became disillusioned over the battle over inerrancy of Scripture, especially in our schools. And uh, the way the cooperative program was in, instituted and the way it worked, um, you could not contribute without contributing to some things you didn't want to promote. And um, I had a, a friend, many friends, who advised me and counseled me. I wrote Dr. W. Criswell. He answered me in a letter. I wrote Dr. R.G. Lee, uh, who answered me. I wrote um, John Bassanio, who's now with the Lord, along with those other two men. And I counseled with people. Bob Norman was one of my uh, spiritual fathers at the time. He was a great man. Uh, because I was making a decision that it was going to affect my entire lifetime. And so I didn't want to do it hurriedly. I didn't blab it to everybody about what I was going to do. But I, I want to be very prayerful about it. It involved my wife and children and our future and my future ministry. So when I came out of the convention and identified with independent Baptist people, there were many of those independent Baptist people that I was sorry to be identified with. Uh, I thought their spirit was not the spirit of Jesus Christ. But the position they took, sometimes the disposition was not exactly what it ought to be. Mine wasn't either. But the position they took of separation to the Lord from the world and adherence to Scripture and truly believing that the Scriptures served as the, the final authority for our faith and practice, that was a position that I had already come to. So I felt like the other folks were leaving me. I wasn't leaving them. But it was about choosing God and following God. That doesn't mean that every other Southern Baptist pastor I knew and loved and, and continued to know and love didn't love the Lord. They did. They were great people who loved God. They just didn't make that decision, but I did. And uh, I had been blessed and helped by lots of people, free Methodists, Presbyterians, um, Southern Baptist men, and still was blessed. When I began to read and study the scriptures in earnest, uh, the, the Episcopalian preacher who wrote the book on... Um, the scriptures, uh, who was the president of Moody Bible Institute, was a great blessing to me. And so, as I thought about him, and uh, I thought about those kinds of things, um, James M. Gray and others, I thought, there are people God has blessed and used. D.L. Moody was not a Baptist. And there are people that God has blessed and used in our lives that we could learn lots of great things from that were not independent Baptist. And then I had a conviction about independent Baptist because I felt like that being a free Baptist, a Baptist and adhering to what Jesus Christ had taught and basing all our beliefs and teachings on the Word of God, 
uh, I adhered to the statement that if it's Bible, it's Baptist. If it's Baptist, it's Bible. And uh, I don't think that we came out of the Southern Baptist Convention. I, I battled that. I battled that because a lot of independent Baptists think that whole movement started with J. Frank Norris and it existed long before J. Frank Norris lived. But J. Frank Norris adhered to it, if you understand what I'm saying. But you would have found people centuries ago who believed the same doctrinal things that we believe. But anyway, I was just trying to be helpful in saying, um, unless we can rejoice in God uses outside the independent Baptist ranks, God will never bless independent Baptist people like He wants to. I still believe that. I still believe that. So know what you are, know why you are what you are, but have a deep appreciation, in my opinion, have a deep appreciation for all the people that God has used and blessed through the centuries. And then you, you glean from that helpful things that will help you, but you can define and clarify your convictions a whole lot, a whole lot more. And uh, I'm going to ask Mr. Zinker to ask, answer something like this just for a moment. And uh, when he found in work in England and the churches in England and what God was doing there and the scarcity of Christian people, because I think that's where we're coming now. Uh, what did you find to be true about who, who might be someone who could be a blessing and used of God to help you and you could be a help to them? Uh, in the United Kingdom, as many of you know, there was once a great number of uh, churches, churches on every corner, literally, and Bible colleges everywhere today. That's a far different picture. So there are very few Bible preaching churches comparative to what there used to be. So uh, we found small groups of people uh, that believe the Word of God, uh, that still use the King James Version, the authorized version of the Bible, that sang hymns, that had reverent worship, that believed in holy living. And some of these groups would not identify themselves as Baptists. Some of them were Bible churches. Some may have been associated in the past with the open brethren or things like that. But they were people who loved God, loved His Word, uh, had reverent worship, had a respect for the Word of God, and they were the people who really came to encourage us and help us and be a blessing to Can us. Can you give some examples? Yes, yeah, so we had uh, several churches who contacted us. There were uh, specific groups of people who there would not have identified as Baptists. They were just simply called uh, chapel. So they would be Grace Chapel or perhaps uh, named after a particular part of the town they were in. And that chapel would have identified themselves just as people not using the name Baptist, but very Baptistic. They believed yeah. in baptism by immersion. And they were people who uh, came alongside us. Several of those places offered us their chapels as they were closing. And so now we were able to start were churches. Were some of those, those people places. people that were involved in, uh, historically involved in uh, a church that could not call itself a church all the way back to... Can you give us just a little background briefly on that? Yes, many of the churches there are called chapels, and that's not a derogatory term. Maybe here in the United States, someone would call a chapel something that's a mission or something that's not a constituted church. But in the United Kingdom, up until the late 1800s, only a Church of England church could be called a church. So the building was not by law allowed to be called a church. So if you were a Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Congregationalist, 
if you were not a part of the Church of England, the church building you were in could not by law be called a church. So when Charles Spurgeon built the tabernacle, uh, several people uh, recently I've heard said, why didn't, why didn't Spurgeon call it the Baptist, uh, a Baptist church? Well, by law, it had to be called something other than a church. So he called his the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Uh, many of the churches that are there now, if the, they have a historical name like chapel, you'll know they were built and established in the 1800s before the word church was legal to be used by Baptists. Thank you very much. You. I appreciate that. This is by no means any type of promotion to leave the name Baptist or the word Baptist. Right. It, is, it is just to help us understand if you're reading and gleaning things from people like uh, Joseph Parker in London or whatever the case may be, you may run into somebody that's not a Baptist or wasn't a Baptist. And today, there are people that God is using and blessing. I know when Frank Sells came into my life, Frank Sells was a Presbyterian, and he had never been baptized by immersion. And, but when he was in his 80s, he left the Presbyterian church and became an independent Baptist and was baptized by immersion in the 80s, in his 80s. And I'm thinking, you don't see much of that. Uh, you just don't see much of that at all. Uh, this is a story also with uh, A.T. Pearson. A.T. Pearson was a Presbyterian who was willing to be baptized by immersion to become the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle after the death of Spurgeon. And it was some of, some of Spurgeon's key people who said, if it was right for you to be baptized by immersion, you shouldn't be doing it just to become our pastor. And uh, they gave him quite a fit over that. He never became the pastor, but he did preach for six months after Spurgeon's death because he was counted the greatest Bible teacher and preacher in the world and he filled the pulpit there. But let me talk to you about something. Um, I want you to understand we're going to call year 2021 the year of the local church. The year of the local church. And I think if you'd write that down, uh, we're going to do some things, not, not very elaborate things, but to promote it to our people the year of the local church. And we need to put the emphasis there. Remember that God has said we're the pillar and ground of the truth. And uh, there's so many wonderful things about the local church. Tim Cart, who's here with me today and works with me and does an outstanding job in so many places in this ministry, especially with our international people, uh, suggested to me when he knew I was going to mention this subject that I recommend to you uh, becoming a first century church. This is a study uh, with some appendages in it about what we found in the first century church. If you actually went back into the first century and found the first century church, these are the things you'd find. And so in the table of contents, and these are designed as Bible studies for your Sunday school and to bring your people on board. So the first century church and, and the opening of it is an introduction by Charles Spurgeon and his lecture that he gave on the first century church. But the first century church, the measure, how did they measure the first century church? It's measured by its likeness to Christ. The power of the first century church. The power is the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God's Word, the power of the resurrection of Christ. So on it goes. Uh, the authority, what authority did the, the first century church have? The doctrine of the first century church, the structure of the first century church. How was it structured? Uh, the prayer life of the first century church, the true worship in the first century church. 
the preacher and preaching and identifying certain preachers in the first century church. The vision of the first century church and uh, the pioneering spirit of the first century church. Oh, that's something we need. Uh, the personal accountability of the first century church. And then uh, the faith of the first century church. So uh, Tim suggested that you may want to do this study in January. It'll take you for uh, 13 weeks to do it. But to emphasize, if you're going to emphasize for 2021, the local church. Or you may do this. When I was a, just a young fellow starting out preaching in the Southern Baptist Convention, we had January Bible studies. Maybe somewhere in your reading or studying or stumbling onto things, you've seen some of the little books that they printed. They don't print them anymore. But every, every Southern Baptist church that was sort of moving forward had a January Bible study. It might have been on the book of the Bible. It might have been on a character in the Bible. So the church would get together uh, and do the January Bible study. And people would come together, especially key leaders would come together. One of those little books just was the title on that book, On the Joy of Church Membership. It was a great little book. And I still have copies of those. Someone gave them to me years ago. I probably have 30 or 40 of them. Some of them need to be put back in print. But I got the idea that I would write this book on believe and belong, believe and belong, and not just believe, but belong to a local Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. And I subtitled it, The Joy of Church Membership. And that's where that came from, from the, that little book and the thought that the Baptist preachers were trying, pastors were trying to tell their people about the joy of being a church member. And I really believe there's a need for that today. Because it's been so de-emphasized, it's, so, it's almost marginalized. Be belonging to a church is almost marginalized. And I have a chapter in this book about why you should belong to a church. Well, if you use it as a Sunday school curriculum, and all of your, uh, what we do here, all of our uh, junior high and senior high and all adult classes uh, teach that when we're having that study, then they all hear why we should have a... Um, church membership and the reason is because we found that in the first century church they joined Paul joined the church in Jerusalem and then uh, Tim also suggested that this might be helpful if you didn't want to go in that direction this book has been called by some people the most helpful book I've written it's entitled uh, the stewardship of life and it deals with all types of stewardship stewardship of time all, all kinds of stewardship not just tithing. And stewardship is our response to God. That's very important for me to emphasize because we're doing what we do because He's done what He did. And so we love Him because He first loved us and it is our stewardship is our response to God. If you're not careful, you'll try to teach stewardship in your church with the idea and preach stewardship in your church with the idea that it really has nothing to do with God and Christ. It's just what people ought to be doing. But it's what people ought to be doing because of what God has done for us. That's a very important language to use, especially as a pastor. One of the questions I got, and I'm not going to answer them all, said, you used the expression pastoral preaching. And when we were last together, would you go into a little more detail about that concept and contrast it with other types of preaching? Well, one of the gifts God made to a church is a pastor and teacher. Um, 
we find evangelists, don't we? We find prophets. I think, of course, uh, we have the completed revelation of God's Word, and we no longer have prophets prophesying uh, things to come that aren't revealed to us in Scripture. Uh, the Bible is a, is a closed book and an open book. In other words, God's not giving any more Scripture. He's not creating any more earth. But um, the Chinese may be creating more earth out in the oceans with, with sand places uh, to, build, to build places. But uh, as far as creation, uh, creation is complete and the Word of God is complete. We have the completed written revelation of God's Word. So, we know that some of the gifts that God gave to the church uh, are not just pastors. But pastors have responsibilities to feed the flock of God, take the oversight, um, to warn, and uh, to present people before the Lord, complete, mature. So pastoral preaching reflects that. Charles Spurgeon of all the things Spurgeon said, he's attributed many things, said, you don't have a sermon unless you have an application. And I, I, I'd like to ask him, if you can get a hold of him today, you can ask him and let me know what he said. But uh, Charles Spurgeon, I'm just kidding, I hope. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said that we must have an application to really have a sermon. Well, I'm thinking, does he mean that the Holy Spirit makes the application? Does he mean that the pastor makes the application? Does he mean that the listener makes the application? I really believe that all three things are involved. And I would say a number of things about pastoral preaching, but one of them, it's big on application. What are people to do? It's big on application. We're obeying the Lord. And I connect that with certain statements that may be overstated. Honestly, I'm telling you right now, they may be overstated. But as stated the way I state them, I state them for emphasis. That every Christian is either pastoring a church or he's either helping the pastor pastor a church. You're not doing but one of those things. You may think you're the person who's heard from God since anybody else has, but you're either helping the pastor, pastor the church, or you're pastoring the church. Now, that doesn't say much for parachurch ministries, and I've gotten some blessing from parachurch ministries. I've been helped by it, but I'm talking about when the Lord Jesus Christ came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they began to answer. And when they gave the answers, as I've said to you, Jesus said, when Peter answered him, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which art in heaven. And upon this rock, this confession, that I am the Christ, I will build my church, my ecclesia, my called out assembly. And then, of course, we have many applications to that. Uh, when, when I'm reading the epistles of Paul, I'm still hearing the Word of God. Um, I don't know who wrote this. I didn't. But I like it, so I made it my own. 
But I was reading, it may have been F.B. Meyer, I'm not sure, don't quote me on that, but reading something from, uh, from uh, Philippians chapter 2. And the author commenting said, Would you take these words as if they were coming from the mouth of Christ? And they were the words, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And so he had talked about working out your own salvation. And I, I was really helped by that, like you've really been helped by certain things. It stuck in my soul and stayed with me. And so it helped me to understand, no matter where I'm reading or studying in the Word of God, or no matter what text I'm preaching from, I'm preaching what God said. The Lord has recorded this. We have the truthful record in the Word of God. It may be the truthful record of Satan speaking something that's a lie, but it is the truthful record of what Satan said. And so um, that's one reason I, I feel a little funny. Now this is silly, but I, I feel a little funny about the, the red letter edition of the Bible. It may be helpful just to help you get in place Christ was speaking here and Christ is speaking here, but I don't want that to take away from the, 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 the heart conviction I have that it is all the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And I think that's a conviction that the pastor or preacher or minister must come to the pulpit really believing. And uh, pastoral preaching is my kind of preaching because I can't preach a sermon in our church without applying it to our people. So what are they to do? How does, it, how does it affect our people? And that's another thing that I have a problem with. Uh, Ultra-dispensationalists who want to take part of the Bible from you. I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. Because what we have in seed form in the Old Testament, we have in fully developed form in the New Testament. And uh, uh, there's not two ways of salvation. And I think there's a great injustice done. There's good study Bibles like Bulletin Study Bible. Uh, that's a good thing, but he's a, that's a very dispensational book. But I love preaching from the Old Testament and applying it to things in our life today. And, and often, and I learned this from Edward Drew, a man I never knew, but I followed him. He was 25, 27 years the pastor of the Madison Avenue Baptist Church in Patterson, New Jersey, which is a Baptist church. Drew was a, a brethren minister, but Drew would almost always take his text and then go from the Old Testament to the New Testament to reinforce his text. And uh, they recorded all his sermons, and I had the privilege of reading many of them and was blessed by it. He taught me a lot of things. He being dead yet speaketh. He taught me so many things about confidence in God's Word and, and um, bringing the people in and bringing the Bible into the people. And so uh, I, I love that. I just love it. I don't, I don't think I'm speaking just to the people. I'm sure sometimes it comes across that way, but I'm talking with the people, speaking with the people about the things of God and um, telling them what I've learned and learning with them. That's pastoral. I'm their shepherd under the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And um, shepherding the flock 
is something that, that you grow into. And you can become a preacher without being a shepherd. You can be a preacher without being a pastor. But you can't be a pastor without being a preacher. And uh, I remember two elderly ladies. I didn't understand them, quite frankly, when I went to Madison Avenue in 1980. I didn't understand them. And, she, and one of them would say to me, Pastor, uh, we love your preaching, but you need to work on your pastoral prayers. Well, I was really, quite frankly, I was offended by that. Uh, because not everyone prays the same way. We ought to pray in reverence and with bowed heads uh, to the Lord. But, um, and they were all thee and thou people. And I, I, I developed quite a bit of that. Not totally, exclusively, but quite a bit of that about the way I address God and speak to God. Because some preachers talk to God like, hey, buddy, you know, I, I mean, I just can't have that. I can't, I can't have that in my heart and, and sense that I'm speaking to a thrice holy God. And another thing they taught me is they didn't rush into their prayer life. In other words, you call on somebody to pray and they say, Haf! you know, and just jump in like a dog eating food. You think about to whom you're praying. And, and, and you think about how great he is. That doesn't mean you wait long, but you pause long enough to enter into the presence of God. You wouldn't just jump into his face and say something. You may be, you may be in desperation like Peter about to drown in the water and cry out, Lord, save me. I don't think he wasted a lot of time doing that. But when you're praying, I learned a lot of things from those precious people. And I'm glad. <laughs> Have you learned things from people who really have been with the Lord and but to begin with, I didn't understand why they were saying to me, uh, pastoral praying. All right, so I must talk about the things we're going to assign ourselves today. Uh, I'll take some of these other questions if I can. I'm talking about providing leadership from the pulpit ministry. Providing leadership from the pulpit ministry. And uh, that's, that's what you're doing. Don't disconnect preaching from pastoring if you're the pastor. I would write that down if I were you. Don't make a disconnect between your preaching and your pastoring. Because many of the things that motivate your people to do what you want them to do or you're leading them to do in the church... The church is a body, and the body is functioning. And it functions, um, it functions by following. Uh, let me try to explain that. I may do a poor job, but let me try to explain that. You know, I've got major organs that function in, in my body. Brain, um, heart, lungs, liver. Uh, some of you with a little more uh, medical ability than I've got could explain this better than I can. And uh, I have a nervous system, a skeletal system, a muscular system. And, uh, and my, my systems engage and follow. One of the analogies that God gives, the comparisons are uh, metaphors God uses and figures of speech God uses to describe the church is a body. You're speaking to a body. Some people function more 
necessarily than other people. Most of the time, even a church of large size uh, is, is really led and pastored by no more than maybe a dozen people. That doesn't mean you coddle those people or just cater to those people, but it does, does mean that those people share information. They, they lead. You lead them, they lead others. Uh, it may be the deacon chairman. It may be somebody that's not the deacon chairman. It may be a Sunday school teacher. It may be somebody in the Sunday school class. Sometimes only God knows that. Sometimes it's an old saint in the church that everybody has the greatest respect for. There's a difference between power and authority. And you know, I speak off the cuff, so I may repeat some of these things to you, but I don't care one thing about whether or not I repeat it or not. It doesn't bother me in the least. If somebody says, well, he said that more than once. Forget it. I don't care. Uh, I don't care at all. And you shouldn't care either. But I speak spontaneously that way. And there's a difference between power and authority. For example, you, you may be given the authority to be the pastor of the church. They may have voted on you and it's a wedding and they said, I do. And you said, I do. And we're married now. But it doesn't mean you have power with them. It doesn't mean you have influence with them. Uh, because that's to be earned. It's not just positioned. It has to be earned. You go to the grave with them and help them during their illnesses and you marry their young and bury their dead. Uh, you help them in times of decision. You're a steadfast force in their lives. They don't have to ask you sometimes what to do because they know what you believe and it helps them do the right thing. Uh, that's one of the great pleasures of a long pastorate. There's some disadvantages. People get tired of you. They get tired of me. They get tired of looking at the same thing. A woman said to me not long ago, I'm tired of seeing you in all these dark suits. Well, maybe she was just tired of me, period. I don't think so. But sometimes they do. And uh, they may want to run after somebody else for something. But you're their pastor. And when you're, when you're preaching... In, in the pastoral ministry, you understand there are people who hear you who adhere to what you're saying and who do not what you're suggesting. I, I would say that you, you, you make a little difference between making suggestions. I say to our staff, I wouldn't say this to our church, but I say to our staff, I don't make suggestions. If I ask you to do something, it's not a suggestion. You know? Whatever the Medes and Persians had, they had something, but it's like the law of the Medes and Persians. So, so when you speak this certain way, now I don't want to cross the line over into someone's conscience because I, I believe every person has individual soul liberty and every person has a conscience and they can decide and whether or not they're going to commit their will to something. So that's ground I don't want to get into. That's for another time, another lecture. But, Pastoral preaching comes to the pulpit with the idea you're declaring the Word of God. You're not God, so you may not get it all right, but you're declaring the Word of God. And people need that. I think, um, honestly, as, as carnal as this sounds, some of that, not all of it, but some of that has to do with presentation. For instance, we have a Christian Heritage Center here. 
And we have uh, how many thousand square feet? Probably 35,000 square feet. That's a big, big deal with Christian heritage displays in it. Well, someone said, would you like to display uh, some of the fragments from the Dead Sea Scrolls? I said, would I? Certainly I would. And we have display cases we can put it in. Well, I said, you got to improve your, two things. You got to improve your security because someone has to be on guard 24 hours a day because some of those things are worth half a million dollars or a million dollars. And some, somebody could find that out and just steal it just for the sake of trying to get some money. And then they, they said, you have to adjust presentation. So I said, what do you mean? Adjust presentation. Well, you wouldn't put something. You wouldn't put something that valuable. So the person said, just right in the front door, or the first thing you see. You would go, go, a certain journey, a certain path until you you came to that that most precious thing, or that that most expensive thing, most honored thing. Well, I think that tells a lot of us. So many times we don't approach in presenting the Bible for what it is. Simplicity always clothes profundity. And we should live our lives in simplicity and godly sincerity. So it's not some elaborate thing Sometimes the simple statement or the gesture or the tone of voice. I say to our people most often, I would like for you to take the Word of God. And I'm thinking in my mind and heart, here I am, the pastor, bringing people to the Bible. I'm going to deliver to them the Word of God. And I approach it like it is the precious Word of God. It's different from all other books. It's God's Word. Now, presentation may not be the right word, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Maybe some of you nod your heads and I'll know. <laughs> I'm, I'm at least trying to get through. But um, so this is not an ordinary thing. And by the way, you shouldn't use the same type of thing in announcements and all of that. Some preachers get more excited about announcing youth activities than they do about announcing the coming of Jesus Christ from God's Word. That, that's silly. You know? Remember who you are. You're their shepherd. You're bringing the food to them. You're preaching the Word of God. You have a certain attitude. You have a certain attitude about Scripture, about God's Word. When we train our fellows at, at the Crown College, uh, these, are, these are things we train the preachers at Crown College about approaching the Bible and speaking the Bible. We even talk about how you read the Bible. You should get every word. When there's a comma, you pause briefly for the comma. When there comes a period, you pause a little longer for the period. There's, there's something to the way we read the Bible. And I think I got this from uh, Campbell Morgan, but Campbell Morgan would read any text before he spoke on it publicly. He'd read on any text over and over and over and over. And I thought, I can't recall the exact number now, but it was a ridiculous number of times he would read it. But see, that all comes from, from too, the place that you give to the Bible. The place you give 
to the Word of God. Knowing that your people may never give the, the degree of sincerity and reverence that you give to Scripture. But there's one thing, they're not going to give more reverence and respect for the Word of God than you give. So, I think this is so important. And may God guide us. Let me, let me talk about a few things. Remember I talked about 2 Timothy chapter 3, the last time we were together, and the work of the Word of God. W-R-K, work of the Word of God. And we talked about the introduction to that. As we transition to it, we're dealing with a pastoral epistle and the final letter written by the Apostle Paul. And so when you're in there, and when you're in there and Paul is approaching that evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, what does that mean? The complexity of evil, the thickening of darkness, the layers of spiritual blindness um, that you're dealing with. Uh, but he says with that disjunctive conjunction, but continue thou on the things which thou hast learned has been assured of. But continue. That but is very important. And those of you who are biblical language people can do better than that than I can. I know enough to, to use tools, but but continue. Don't let the evil men and seducers wax it worse and worse ever stop you. That's a good reminder for, for life and ministry all the time, isn't it? But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that's a great thing to, to meditate upon. Thou hast been assured of. That little phrase is where what we call today critical thinking comes in. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, that's fine. We can read it without that phrase, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. That makes perfect sense, but that's not what God said. God said has been assured of. And I like to give for a biblical illustration, David is with Saul and the giant is taunting the Israelites and blaspheming God and David's going to go out and fight him. And Saul says, well, 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 we, we got to put you in our, in our uniform, in our armor. Now, I frankly heard a preacher say one time that uh, the people who say that David was rattling around, Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. David's rattling around in Saul's armor. and said, that's silly. They wouldn't have done that. But they put on the same type of armor that other soldiers used. And when they got David, it's like one time I, I left my football shoes and we went to an away game and I said to the coach, I was a starting halfback, of course. And so uh, I said, coach, I, lost, I didn't bring my shoes. And he tried to punish me for being irresponsible. And I wore, I wore a certain size shoe and he found a shoe two sizes small. And made me wear it. I tore hide off my feet wearing it. But it took a little while to find them. He found somebody that wasn't going to be playing. Never had a hope of playing. Or even sitting near the field. And got me his shoes. But uh, he was mad at me. So, But they would have found somebody David's size, I believe. And put David, put the armor on him. And I think they took a little time. You know, David had time to think. What's going on here? They armored him up to go down to face the giant. And David decided to go. He started to go and he said, no, 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 no. I can't do this. I haven't proved it. 
I don't know that this works. But I know what does work. And I want to ask you, do you know what does work in your life? Do you know? What have you been assured of? Where is your soul's confidence? But continue down the thing which I was learned has been assured of. This I know. This I've been assured of. This I can stand in the pulpit and preach confident that God will use and bless this. That God's Spirit will be pleased with this. Confidence. Been assured of. And that from a child that's known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So the first work is Remember, the work of salvation, the Word of God, makes us wise into salvation. And, uh, and then, teaches us doctrine. Remember, that's our belief in teaching. That's one of the two things Christ left the church. Doctrine, our belief in teaching, and ordinances, things He ordered we do. So, doctrine, and then for, for doctrine, for reproof. You see, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone his own way. And so the Lord reproves us with his word. And then for correction and for instruction in righteousness. That's a lifelong thing. So we, we got through the, that sermon and uh, I got to this. Uh, we're, we're dealing with this book which involves four supernatural Truths that are inseparable. Now when you start trying to separate them, you can get yourself in a little pickle if you're not careful. But I want you to write them down. There are four supernatural truths concerning God's Word that are inseparable. Inseparable. First, the truth of revelation. God has revealed Himself according to Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. God's revealed Himself in conscience and creation. But He has revealed Himself in the Bible in a written record. It's God's revelation. How did we get that supernaturally from God? God revealed Himself. It is the Word of God. It is the revealing of God. That's the first supernatural Inseparable truth. The second is inspiration. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's all given by inspiration. It's breathed out. And uh, God has moved. And it is, is it the writers that were inspired or is it the writings? Let's get that right. They were moved along by the Spirit of God, but it's the Word of God that was revealed and inspired, breathed out from God. They were the human penmen. Uh, Dr. John R. Rice wrote a book on God's breathe, God, the God-breathed Word. And uh, a lot of people won't use it today. As a matter of fact, uh, as much good as they've done at the soil of the Lord. Uh, and I say that to be, to be benevolent and kind because they have uh, through the years. They won't sell the book. They have it, and it was Dr. Rice's favorite book. But they won't sell it because Dr. Rice did not use exclusively 
the authorized version, the authorized King James Version, that book. But he makes a great argument about revelation and what is meant by revelation, the God-breathed Word. And if you're able to get that and read it and it doesn't blow you away in some way, why, I recommend it to you. But we have the supernatural truth of inspiration. Then we have the third supernatural inseparable truth. That's preservation. God has preserved His Word. And He promises in biblical text that His Word is preserved. And I, I think you ought to get the, the, the feeling if, uh, if Richard Baxter was preaching the Word of God in Kittyminster and doing a great job pastoring his church there so that everybody in the town heard about the gospel and how the power of salvation, even though he wasn't a very kind man toward Baptists. Um, if he was preaching God's Word, if, uh, if Bunyan was preaching God's Word, uh, you're preaching the same Word of God. It's been preserved. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that God led me personally to the use of the authorized King James Version of the Scripture in teaching and preaching. The beauty, the blessing, the revival is on it. There may be some archaic words that you'll run into because of the translation being in, 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 completed in 1611, but, and there's been revisions of that. I, I know those arguments. We've had to deal with that in the college, of course. But, uh, for instance, any copy of the Bible printed by, um, printed by um, um, the Bible printer in England, uh, not Oxford, but Cambridge, by Cambridge, gives a glossary in the back of archaic words. And sometimes when you're preaching, you can say um, the word prevent in the, the passage in First Thessalonians about the coming of the Lord means precede. And uh, I don't like to see people just constantly correcting the Bible. When, you, when you're doing that and saying this should have been translated a certain way, no, no, no. And given the context and the height and zenith of the English language and the beauty of the English language, when, when it was at its zenith, uh, no, it was translated and this is what is meant by that. But if you're constantly coming across like a correct Bible, not good, not good, not good at all. But I must get to the fourth thing. Not only has God revealed His Word, inspired His Word, preserved His Word, but the fourth of the supernatural inseparable truths concerning the Word of God is illumination. It's a living book. God speaks. It's quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. We don't read about the soul and spirit being divided. When we die, we lay down this body, but soul and spirit were going to be with God. And, um, but the Bible does say that the Word of God can divide between soul and spirit. That's very interesting to me. It's going to take a little study and meditation upon it. I've got these young theologues sitting here with me, and they're always, always breathing out for me to say more than I'm saying. And uh, I'd like to leave some things for them to study. Don't you think it's just right that they have to study and find out some things for themselves? Don't you think that? Can you say a hearty amen out there in Zoom land? <laughs> all, you, all, you Zoom, all you Zoomites, uh, can't, you, can't you say they need to find it out? But let's get it straight. God does speak. He brings the light. 
He shows us. He illumines His Word. That's supernatural for the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, what was it? In John uh, uh, 17, uh, when, when, when Jesus said, uh, uh, when He was giving the lecture to His disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit uh, before the great high priestly prayer in John 17, He said, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. That is not just for those disciples at that time. The Holy Spirit guides us today, doesn't He? Doesn't God guide you? Sometimes when you get to something and you get a little dull studying something, you just pause, meditate upon it and pray and stay in communion with God. And you'd be shocked sometimes how God speaks to you and God leads you. And He sometimes does that by leading you to another passage because the greatest commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And He'll give you a passage. He'll bring the passage to mind, bring some passage to mind that helps clarify the passage you're studying. Well, you know, I want to get those four supernatural, inseparable truths from you. And um, some pastors have asked for advice of what to tell people uh, in their church about getting the COVID-19 vaccination. Well, I can tell you where I am about it. I don't think it's something I'm going to do. I'm personally not going to take the vaccination. If they ask me, I may say that. I may not say it. It all depends on if Henny Penny is asking me or, or somebody else is asking me. You know, but Henny might be running everywhere telling everybody, well, Pastor Sexton says, Pastor Sexton says, I just don't want to deal with it. But no, I'm not going to take the vaccination. But I told our people as, as late as yesterday, Sunday, and then the Christmas, the great Christmas party we had, and here comes Santa Claus and all the gifts and all that kind of thing. Didn't, didn't I say to the whole staff, college, academy, church, that you're going to ask about vaccinations because they've started this week, and I'm not going to be your answer. I'm just not. I'm very careful about that. I've learned some lessons. For instance, I was visiting a hospital years ago and somebody had the arm operated on and their arm was in a sling and they couldn't move it. And they said, Pastor, Pastor, I'm in such pain. I don't think it would hurt me just to move it a little bit, do you? Well, the doctor told them not to move it. And uh, I said, well, I, I don't know. I, I didn't say no. I didn't say yes. I just said, I don't know. Well, the next day when I came in to see the patient, the doctor was there to meet me. And he said, Pastor, I appreciate what you're doing. Love what you're doing to help the people. But let me do the doctoring and you do the pastoring. So a lot of the medical questions and concerns I don't want to get involved in. Now, you may be the other kind of person. You may be, I want to tell them how long to make their fingernails. Uh, that, that's your business. That's fine if that's what, you, that's what you're given to. I've heard people tell them, I, I tell them what color car to buy. I don't. I don't tell them what make or whatever. I do try to help them sometimes about not getting themselves in such terrible debt. America has become uh, the, the, the leveraged country of the world. Everybody's leveraged out of mind. That's because the debt structure we have allows that. But uh, should the pastor tell the people to take a shot or avoid it? I don't, I don't know. That's up to you. I, I'm, I'm thinking uh, about, about you like I would these guys in here. 
I might be a little more overbearing with them, but there's some things that are left between you and God. This is one of them. So I've got more to talk about in this preaching and uh, teaching the Word of God and how God's Word travels to us. We've got pages and pages of things to say here. And um, so anyway, I'm going to have to hold off on that. But let me try another question or two. Um, I'm not sure if this has been covered in the past, but what would you recommend to someone who's going through a dry spell during their God and I time? I think to be instant in season, out of season, um, there are seasons I have with God and seasons I have with people. Sometimes I'm dry as a bone. Sometimes I am. I say this, preach what you know, not what you don't know. And if you're stumbling somewhere, uh, just get back to what you know, not what you don't know. Because you need to be confident in God, confident in His Word when you're speaking and preaching. You'll have those. It's like stair steps. It's not like a ramp. You come up a step and you get on it and it levels off. It's a while before you incline again. And then it levels off. Your growth, your church's growth, your people's growth, it's all that way. It doesn't go like a rocket. It's like those steps. You move up and then level off. Move up and level off. So don't be too disappointed. Just keep going upstairs. You know what I mean? You can just keep going. God will bless that. Would it be safe to say that you try to preach in advance of the work being done in your church? Yes. For instance, everybody says a catastrophe is coming. I'm preaching Wednesday night on things that cannot be shaken. Now, some things might get shaken. Lynn Wood, a man I've got respect for, has sent out a text about, uh, about the dark days and what you must prepare and get water and get this and get that and get your uh, Second Amendment supplies, all those kinds of things. Well, people are alarmed. You're the pastor. They hear the shepherd's voice. It's a calming voice. So I'm giving them a message. I'm not talking about all that, but I'm giving them a message on Wednesday evening on things that cannot be shaken. And something else I'm doing, I'm making accessible to our people the members of our church who live in their community near them and, uh, and who our deacons are and who our staff members are because we're out there to help one another. And the church meets in the church facility, but the church prays for one another, encourages one another out in the community. Maybe there's something I should cover that I've, I've left off. It says, uh, Congratulations to Stephen Knickerbocker. I really want to congratulate Julie. She's done all the work and uh, had a baby last week. Corbin Asher Knickerbocker. Another knickerbocker in the world. Very good. Well, Stephen, you've got a beautiful wife and I'm sure you've got a beautiful baby. And we're sure praying that God continues to bless and use you. Happy you're with us today. Why don't you lead us in our prayer? And uh, we'll get you on. Can you hear me?
Yes, I can hear you. If I can hear you, we can all hear you. And someday the whole world will hear you. And we, oh, excuse me, that's somebody else's speech. <laughs> Just laughing, having a good time. I might as well enjoy this, don't you think? Good. Oh, thank you, Stephen. It says, what will a leader do? How will a leader handle constructive criticism? Well, um, first just say thank you. You may be so worked up. And this is not your question, but you may be so worked up that you would say something you'd regret. So just say thank you for caring enough to say that to me. And just get it out of the way and then get some time to think about it and think about what you're learning from it. I appreciate all of you joining me today. Stephen, would you lead us in our closing prayer and congratulate, give Julie a hug for us and a baby a kiss for us, okay? Lead us in prayer, will you, son? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love to us that never changes. Thank you for the truth that we can hold to, adhere to, stand on, and proclaim with confidence. Thank you for Pastor Sexton and the vision you've given him, the influence, and for this, uh, these meetings that we can have. Help us to uh, be strengthened in our faith, to be emboldened, to keep uh, moving up, as we heard, moving up the, the stairs and, and uh, keep looking on the fields that are ready to harvest. And uh, strengthen each one, each listener, and those that will hear, listen to the recordings. If one is discouraged or or is, um, has uh, maybe uh, stopped in their uh, lives and ministry walking with you, we pray that uh, you would uh, use these, uh, uh, these meetings to uh, renew their, um, their zeal to walk with you and advance with the gospel. And uh, we pray that you would uh, also strengthen Pastor Sexton with his health, that he may continue to have this great influence on, on pastors and ministers all around the world and help us not to be hearers only of these things but to be doers and and to repeat them uh, to a faithful men and uh, thank you for my wife and everything that went well with the birth and we pray that you would help us as we uh, adjust our lives to this uh, 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 this new situation with the baby and uh, and as we uh, carry on with furlough and seek to go back to the field give us much wisdom we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stephen is one of our great young pastors, Crown College graduates, he and his wife. Tremendous preacher, doing a great work in uh, Africa. And uh, let's remember all of us together, the year 2021, we're going to make the year of the local church, the pillar and ground of the truth. God bless you, fellas. God bless you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.